Welcome to the NCLA Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Mann, and today I will be talking with our guest, Alicia Heislop. Alicia is the Director of Public Policy at ACTE and plays a critical role in keeping us all up to date with the career tech ed space, what's happening, and just the current current news with legislation. Thank you for joining us today, Alicia. No problem. Happy to be here. Thanks. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and your role with ACTE? Sure. Um, As you said, I'm the Director of Public Policy here at ACTE, and I've been here almost 20 years in various roles. Now I serve as the lead of all of ACT's work on policy and advocacy and media and research as well. So it's a, a broad spectrum of space that really um, relates to how we influence federal policy, how we implement federal policy, and the tools and resources that the CTE field um, needs to both um, serve as advocates, but also respond um, to what's going on in the policy space. Okay, thank you. And and for those of you who may not be familiar with ACTE, it stands for the Association for Career and Technical Education. And if you are interested in more about their work, be sure to visit their website, acteonline.org, which will be included in uh, in the blog that goes along with this. All right. And how is ACTE responding to the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, like many other organizations and institutions, it's required a significant shift in our activities um, at the national level and the way we um, engage around the country. You know, first of all, we've made some operational changes. Those are the most obvious right off the bat, things like rescheduling meetings or moving content from in-person to online or um, in the case of our national policy seminar, which would have been coming up next week, um, canceling that meeting because it wasn't safe for our members to travel to be in D.C. or um, for policymakers to meet with them in person. Um, So lots of meeting shifts. We've also been concentrating on how we can support members through this time. And that is primarily occurring on two fronts that I know we'll dig into throughout the call. The first is on the policy front, of course, which is um, my bread and butter. And then also providing tangible, practical resources that educators can use as they shift many of their courses from an in-person environment to an um, online or other type of remote learning atmosphere. You know, and that's something that we're hearing a lot from our leaders across the country is this is, it's just such a quick shift from, for everyone uh, to try to prepare for versus those who haven't moved to a remote learning environment. And then for those who very quickly made those adjustments and changes, it's just a completely new terrain, especially when we consider how hands-on our programs are within career and technical education. Um, So what are some of the unique challenges that you're hearing on your end for CT programs and the folks who are administering these programs? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with the fact that CT programs tend to be much more hands-on and applied than 
courses in some other disciplines. And so in addition to dealing with the macro challenges that everybody around the country is dealing with related to broadband access and um, device access for students that certainly our CTE students need as well, you also have um, the added difficulty of the fact that you can't just go to an online textbook and meet all of the standards that you might have had left in your program within CTE. So CTE educators are having to be um, much more creative um, in how they um, meet the needs of students in their courses and in many places are still struggling with the best way to do that. And I know that you guys, that uh, everyone at ACT has been working really hard to make sure that resources are available to our leaders. And uh, can you share with us some of those resources that are available as we're navigating this new terrain? Sure. So we have, I will say, two big buckets of resources. Um, The first one is tools for educators to learn more about effective ways of teaching online. And so our partners at Max Knowledge, who oversee our CTE Learn platform, which is available through ACT's website and provides um, online professional development for educators, have opened up um, six courses to unlimited access for CTE educators to help prepare them for the transition to teaching online. You can access those, um, as I mentioned, on ACT's website, which is www.acteonline.org through the CTE Learn portal, and it's kind of front and center on the page right now. Um, And the six classes available are around teaching techniques, um, how to be student-centered in that approach, how to create and organize your virtual learning environment, how to communicate with students, um, and how to manage your workload while you're teaching online. So six different um, courses that educators can access free until May 1st in order to improve their skills and knowledge about teaching online, because we know that many CTE educators um, have never had the opportunity to do that um, before and may not be as comfortable um, in that platform as they um, surely were in front of their students in their classroom. And I think that's true for all educators um, these days as they make that transition. Um, The other bucket of resources is around um, practical things that educators can actually use in their online instruction. So um, we have developed a distance learning resources page for educators. It includes um, links to the Max Knowledge courses as well, but mostly focuses on online curriculum or videos or access um, to service providers that are making their online tools and modules um, free for the period of time that we are dealing with uh, this medical crisis around the country. And that page is being updated on a regular basis. It includes um, tools and resources around general online education, as well as specific kind of career development related activities. Many of those might be appropriate for middle school courses or for um, introductory courses related to pathways and careers or work-based learning courses that you're having to figure out, um, you know, how to teach employability skills online moving forward. Um, 
One example of those is our partnership with Accenture. Um, They offer free modules for the Skills to Succeed Academy, and that's available right on that page. And those modules include kind of virtual simulations that students can work through to learn and apply employability skills concepts um, that they might have been hoping to practice in a real workplace environment, but that isn't possible right now. That page also includes um, sets of resources by discipline areas, so family consumer sciences, health sciences, the trades, and links to places where we have found or been sent tools and resources that teachers might just pick up and use in their classroom. Um, We know and continue to hear that that's one of the biggest problems for CTE educators is that back to that kind of hands-on question that if you were used to say demonstrating in front of your class and then having them practice, that that's much different to move remote than if you in the past had used a, a math book to teach or that your students had access to, to do their practice in. And so While many of the solutions available right now aren't perfect, um, more and more good tools and resources seem to be coming online on a regular basis, and they're all being added to that page. Um, So that's just a a snapshot of the resources we have available. We're also very interested in hearing from folks about what they need. There's a short three-question survey on our website right now, and as everyone kind of settles in and starts to move forward in this remote teaching endeavor, we'll have more and more tools and resources available. Okay, thank you so much. And you know, it really is heartwarming to see how people across the country are coming together and sharing their ideas and thoughts, a lot of them with free of charge. Um, people are lifting fees for for different platforms to help out educators or even offering reduced uh, reduced costs. And it, it's a testament to our humanity to see how during this crisis people are are responding in a way that's just uh, coming coming together as a community. Um, and we know that there's been policy changes as a result. Can you share with us what changes are being made and um, what's happening at the federal level to help support schools? Yes, there has been a concerted effort by policymakers, both in the Federal Department of Education and on Capitol Hill, to try to address the issues within the education system as quickly and comprehensively as possible. Um, I'm going to share just a little bit about how the situation looks right now when we're recording, which is on Thursday, March 26th. Um, Things are happening quickly, though, so I encourage you to stay tuned and stay up to date. We have um, a blog post, our CTE Policy Watch blog, which is also available right on ACT's website. We've pinned a post to the top of that blog and we update it every day with the latest guidance and flexibilities and resources that have come out um, from the federal government on how to deal with this crisis. So if you're listening to this podcast in a few days and you want to know what's happened since now, um, definitely visit that blog post and you can see the latest information. Um, But what we have so far is fairly significant as well. So the first bucket of things is related to waivers and regulatory relief that the administration has been able to provide without going through Congress. They have allowed waiving of state 
testing, academic testing that's required under the Every Student Succeeds Act for this school year. And the last number I saw this morning was that 45 states had already been approved for that waiver. And so that's happening happening very quickly and allowing states to not have to worry about offering those state assessments this spring, knowing that uh, there's Schools might be closed for the rest of the year or for a significant period of time, and how to deliver those assessments is a big question or would have been a big question, and the impact that the loss of time in the classroom and this shift to online education will have on students is also a a huge unknown. So removing that testing burden was a big step that the Department of Education took. Um, They have also issued guidance and flexibility on a number of topics related to higher education. Um, For example, they've provided flexibility to accrediting agencies. If your institution was scheduled for accrediting visits this spring, perhaps they had to be canceled. Um, The department is allowing accrediting agencies flexibility in how they extend those deadlines or handle that. Um, It's definitely something uh, to not assume is being taken care of, though, so you need to make sure that you are working closely with your accrediting agency during this time, but knowing that that flexibility is available. Um, They've also issued some early guidance, and then some of this was picked up by Congress that, for example, if students had to leave school or if the program switched from an in-person to an online program, that there would be no impact on the student's financial aid for this semester. And in some cases in the past, when things like that happened, a student would have to pay back a portion or more than a portion of their federal financial aid. So all of that flexibility has been offered already where um, students aren't going to have to pay back their Pell Grants or any other campus-based aid that they received. Um, And in fact, if you were paying students for a work-study job on your campus, you can continue to pay them even if they aren't able to work in in person. Um, So lots of flexibility there. The there is some guidance that we expect to come from the Office of Career Technical and Adult Education, giving folks flexibility on CTE issues. A couple of big concerns have arisen through Perkins. One is that state plans for Perkins were due on April 15th. And while many states were close to being finished or even finished with their plan, um, A number of others were awaiting sign-off by their governor or perhaps state board approval that they needed in their state in order to submit their plan. And um, state board meetings have been canceled or shifted to respond to this crisis. And so some of those things are more complicated um, for states than they were just a few weeks ago. So that's one issue. And then correspondingly, and perhaps more important, many local programs had not finished their local application or their comprehensive local needs assessment for next year. Those deadlines in many states were in April or May, and so local programs still had work to do to finish up those exercises in order to be eligible for Perkins funding next year. And so there's been a request um, by states and locals for some flexibility around that, and Octa is working to see what they can do and what they can offer states within their transition authority. So we're awaiting, um, as we speak, guidance to come out from Octa. Um, that'll be posted right on our blog as soon as it's available. Once we have that guidance, we'll know 
if there are additional pieces of flexibility that we need to go to Congress in order to allow waivers of more pieces of Perkins moving forward. Um, but stay tuned um, for more on what Octa is doing to help. And then in Congress, um, the biggest areas of support so far have been financial resources. Um, I'm sure everyone has heard in the news about the stimulus bill that's been working its way through Congress. Um, it's actually the third package of legislation and definitely the most um, comprehensive and largest dollar amount, roughly $2 billion. Um, I mean, excuse me, $2 trillion in money to aid states as they make it um, through this process. Um, a big piece of that is a $50 billion state fiscal stabilization fund. Um, there is a definite recognition amongst federal policymakers that the lack of sales tax being paid and the number of people that will be unemployed is having, will have a significant impact on state budgets and resources are needed quickly to deal with a lot of the implications of what's going on. So within that state fiscal stabilization fund, there's $13.5 billion for K-12 education and $14.25 billion for higher education. The K-12 dollars will be grants to school districts um, to fill in whatever's needed for their students. Um, Perkins activities are an allowable use of funds as well as things like you know, new technology or broadband access or cleaning that needed to happen in schools, all of the new expenses that schools are facing going forward. And those are available to CTE in the school districts just as much as other programs and courses. At the higher education level, the funds are, are split between aid to institutions to deal with some of those very same things that K-12 institutions are dealing with, as well as kind of backfilling. Um, you know, many higher education institutions are trying to figure out how they might refund, you know, different fees that students had paid so far or um, know that their summer semester is not going to have near nearly the high enrollment, most likely, particularly if it starts in early May, as they might have projected revenue-wise. So there's resources to help backfill revenue for higher education institutions, as well as a pot of that money that has to be distributed directly to students in the form of support services, you know, whether that's childcare or food assistance or um, academic assess assistance, any of the things that their students might need to make it through this period of time. There's also about $3 billion extra dollars for governors that's a flexible spot, pot of money to be spent on education that they can use to fill in areas that have the highest need, maybe the most um, need for new broadband access or new devices or things like that as they go through this process. Um, so that money uh, will be flowing down to districts and states in the next Hopefully in the next few weeks, I haven't heard a specific timeline yet for how it will be distributed, but I know as soon as that bill passes the House, which will hopefully be in just a couple of days by Friday of this weekend and signed into law, then the Department of Education will work on getting that money out to states very quickly. So I'll stop there. That was a, a lot of information, I know, but um, just a, a quick overview of all the things that are happening at the federal level.
Well, and that's such important information, and we really appreciate your expertise and keeping us all up to date. But it's it's tremendous just to see how people are valuing education and allotting these funds, which we need desperately considering how this has just had such a huge impact on everyone, but especially in the education community. Um, we know that COVID-19 has had a devastating impact on our society, on the economy, and especially on those who've, who've become ill or people in their family have become sick with the virus or even passed away. Um, that being said, have you observed or experienced any silver linings or aha moments as a result of what's happening in the world around us? So I, I think for me, there have been two big things related to CTE specifically. Um, the first you kind of alluded to earlier was how many people were stepping up to help. And we've had, you know, our partners and vendors at the federal level, all all of the different service providers that work with CTE programs across the country have really stepped up to offer their materials, their services, their expertise in a multitude of ways to try to help educators deal with this transition as much as possible. Um, so that's certainly one way. Um, the other way, other thing I've been thinking about is a longer term kind of silver lining. And that is that for years, We've kind of heard that, you know, some criticisms that CTE really couldn't be delivered through a distance learning approach very effectively. And um, that makes it hard in rural areas, especially, to try to figure out how to offer students uh, the most rigorous, diverse opportunities that they might be interested in. So I think the creativity that we're seeing and the Things that are being born out of necessity in this time period will really help to expand access to students in more places, particularly in states with a lot of rural areas or spread out schools about how you can deliver CTE programs remotely in more subject areas and to more students as we go forward. Um, and thank, thank you for sharing that. And it is, it is uh, one of those where I, I keep hearing people talk about being forced to slow down. You know, the the world people just valuing their family and having having this dedicated time to spend with them, but also with that, this appreciation for teachers and educate education as a whole, as people are realizing how much goes into uh, the education side of, of uh, developing and raising a child. I've seen a, a oh, lot yes. of different, yeah, the different memes floating around with people uh, talking about this whole new, newly uh, the remote learning and homeschooling and, and, and like you said, this whole people are now realizing the importance of the digital equity and making sure that, that everyone has access to education and through uh, technology and devices. Um, I've even heard educators talking about how they're learning how to use platforms that they would have never, they would have been intimidated by before and how they're realizing that it's not that difficult and that they're actually enjoying the new learning that's taking place in their own professional development. And those things will allow them to continue to use some of those tools and resources, their new skills, you know, as hopefully we get back to normal, you know, whether it's later this school year or next school year. Um, I, I think a lot of the things that teachers try out, they'll be able to incorporate into a, a more traditional environment, but make the instruction 
you know, even higher quality for everybody. Oh, absolutely. And I think that especially for our career tech ed uh, teachers, they're going to absolutely love getting back into their labs and having that in-person hands-on piece again. And I know our students will be excited to get back to. All right. Uh, yeah. And in closing, how can listeners reach you if they have questions about today's podcast or if they're in need of guidance? Sure. So I'm pretty easy to find on ACT's website, um, but you can email me anytime at a Hyslop, that's A-H-Y-S-L-O-P, at A-C-T-E-Online.org. I'm happy to hear from you and to answer any questions that you have. All right. Well, and thank you, Alicia. We really appreciate you joining us today and sharing your expertise. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. We're wishing you the best and we'll continue to be sharing out some great information through the podcast and also through our weekly webinar series that's happening during this time. And be sure to connect with NCLA on Twitter at NCLA underscore CTE or by visiting our website, which is www.ncla dash cte.org. And that information will be included in the blog that accompanies this podcast. Thanks again and stay, stay safe. Thanks everybody.